Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. In the studio tonight, it's Ian. Big Chris Mountaineer. And the Reverend Captain Kickass is here. We've got the lead strategist for Dash on with us here. His name is Ryan Sovereign. He's on with us from Utah at, at home, I presume. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. And just for clarification, I'm not the lead strategist of Dash. Oh, okay. Although I wish I were sometimes. Um, just the Dash incubator, which Very is good. one of the Dash-funded organizations. Well, tell me about the Dash incubator. What is that and you know, how is it related to Dash as a cryptocurrency? Yeah, so as you as you know, Dash has uh, a DAO, which was the first DAO, um, and basically what that means is every month, every about thirty days, there's a super block which basically prints out, mints out newly issued currency for any project that is deemed interesting and would provide value to Dash. Uh, and so I apply or I, I send a proposal quarterly to to that process and then the stakeholders which are called masternode uh, owners in dash they vote on whether uh, anybody should get funding or not and you know you got funding for this uh, sponsorship and i get funding to run the organization called dash incubator we we do uh, web development and blockchain um, developments uh, so like we're mostly doing um applications that are building on Dash platform, but we also do other uh, other application development. Can you give us an example of something that has been incubated and put into production perhaps? Uh, so most of our stuff actually isn't in production yet because like I said, it's, it's, it's waiting for Dash platform, which is a, pro- a, a program, uh, not a program, but a, uh, a product that's been in the works for several years um, uh, and is coming to a close where we just barely got back on testnet recently. Uh, and so applications building on top of that, we at least now have a testnet to build on. Um, but in the meantime, we do, uh, things like, um, I, one of the things that I focused on is, is, is payment tooling and merchant acceptance tooling. Um, but we also like we also have developed something like a, a Twitter alternative that's built on Dash platform. But again, none of that's live yet. So it's mostly experimental stuff. Well, we're big stuff. big fans not. of merchant acceptance here on Free Talk Live. And this is something that we focused on over the years, uh, having been involved with the folks over at AnyPay for some time, which is, as you probably know, uh, one of the primary cryptocurrency multi-crypto acceptance mm-hmm platforms out there one of the the real challenges in the world of crypto for those of us that are focused on getting local businesses to accept cryptocurrency which you know was kind of the whole point i thought was to actually get people to spend crypto and that's what i love about dash is that it's one of the few cryptos that actually focuses on being used as an actual day-to-day useful currency it's uh it's pretty slim pickings out there as far as options for local businesses yeah, to uh, to actually accept something at yeah. a point of sale, you know, to have a tablet there with something running on it to make it easy for a cashier to just punch in some numbers, get a, a QR code up, and then have it work uh, correctly when somebody tries to pay. Uh, AnyPay was the, the primary one for a while, and they actually launched with Dash back in 2017. There's a few out there that are just like one-off. So there's like one that just does Bitcoin Cash. There's this one company that just does Dash. But I don't think anyone else uh, besides AnyPay is doing multi-crypto acceptance that includes Dash. I know BitPay has something, but they're not doing, I don't think they're doing Dash. Um, are you aware of anything, any other uh, multi-crypto platforms out there? Yes, um, there are uh, quite a few, but a lot of them are focused on fiat conversion as well. Mm-hmm. So I know one of the things that you wanted to talk about here tonight was the banking system. And this is something that we've been focused on in certainly in recent weeks and months here, especially mm-hmm. on Free Talk Live on the Saturday show, where we've covered, you know, the various different banking failures over the last uh, couple of months. Of course, we've been discussing inflation and, you know, all the various different economic factors in play right now. And I think, you know, it's certainly Dash and other cryptocurrencies that are you know, out there right now are more important than they've ever been as uh, as an outlet for people to get out of the, the current system. 
Uh, I mean, besides the fact that the banking system just seems to be imploding in upon itself and we may not actually have to lift a finger in order to see it completely demolished, uh, you know, what do you think about transitioning from the status quo to a more crypto-oriented future? Yeah, um, that is that is something that I want to get into detail about. Uh, but at first, I did want to mention one thing about your show, because uh, you mentioned something about, you know, do I know about the show? I do know about the show. I discovered your show probably 10 years ago, and that is actually your show is what brought me to Bitcoin almost oh. 10 years ago right wow. now. So, nice. so thank you guys. Thanks, man. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. and I, Glad, and I glad we could help. Very much a Bitcoiner for, for many years and then uh, eventually shifted over to Dash uh, because of various reasons. Um, but... But well, yeah, let's talk I, about the reasons. I mean, <laughs> at least for me, uh, it, let, let me guess, yeah. because you can't actually make small purchases with it. Yes, that was a reason yeah, for yeah. me, for sure. It was, uh, <laughs> you know, I and I have to admit, I I was one of those people who I didn't see the value in the alternatives to Bitcoin early on. I, I remember when Mark Edge and I were doing Bitcoin shows, conferences a long time ago. Because back in the day, Bitcoin was useful for small payments. Bitcoin could do microtransactions. It had all that capability. It was being used for those purposes. And when uh, you know all these other alternatives came along, I was just like, my attitude was like, what do we need you guys for? Everything's fine. Bitcoin's great. Oh, from, and, from the very beginning, I'm like, well, I mean, uh, any system can be compromised, mm-hmm. even if it's very, very difficult to do so. So, I mean, even if uh, Bitcoin was doing its job of being able to make ordinary purchases with uh having these other chains you know if for no other purpose than you know if somehow or another the existing fiat banking system got enough sway over this system through hook or crook in one other way that that would be a way of securing the idea is having these other chains to move to yeah had i had that wisdom i might have bought some dash when i first when we first interviewed <laughs> the founder of dash years ago but instead it wasn't it wasn't until Bitcoin started to uh, get, you know, uh, very slow and very expensive. So I realized, oh my God, we got to do something to diversify. And so that's when I finally decided to uh, to get into the alternatives like Dash. At that and point, and I think I, I jumped out. I, I jumped kind of off in terms of my interest level in Bitcoin, even before the fees became to be a huge problem. I just discovered um, Amanda B. Johnson, who you probably are familiar with. She mm-hmm. had a show called The Daily Decrypt. And she covered um, many different cryptocurrencies. I was just interested in the whole space because I'm, I'm very much like a, a competition kind of guy. Like the, the more competition, the better the value, most oh, likely, yeah. the yep. lower the costs. Agreed. So yes, I was looking at alternatives and, you know, I, I discovered Dash. And the, the thing that was really, this was probably about 2015, the thing that was really interesting to me was the DAO and was the fact that uh, they carved out uh, a portion of the block rewards away from miners and towards um, stakeholders, which we call masternode owners, um, and then the 10% of the of the budget. And I just thought that is a project that has legs to becoming an actual economy and not just a speculative asset that you buy and kind of hope that it works um, because um, you have to actually kickstart the economy by, in my opinion, and this is this will probably be one of the themes about my message tonight, is until and unless people are actually getting paid in the cryptocurrency uh, for their daily job, this will not catch on. Not a lot of things happen organically. Mm. Uh, as you know, libertarians, of which I, I would call myself a libertarian, although I know that that term's kind of embattled these days, um, they tend to step back and say, oh, the market will take care of it. What they don't realize is that you are the market. I am the market. <laughs> <laughs> the market right. is not going to take care of anything. Individuals are going to take care of things through their own will. Um, and so, yes, you know, like it's good to have these options, but uh, a kind of a, a supplement to that statement is that most people are not um, that driven. Like most people are not, don't have that will behind them to like change an economy, change mm-hmm. a system, change, you know, change the pol- political scene. Most people are um, just neutral. Yep. They just want to pay their bills and go along to get along families and have fun with friends. 
And that's what most people are going to do. And so most people are just going to take a job that pays them something. Mm -hmm. And most times uh, you take that payment in U.S. dollars. Um, and so that's kind of what has to change is I think um, I, I call myself the lead strategist. I call myself a strategist because um, personally, I'm done with the theory. <laughs> I know enough libertarian theory. I'm past that point and I'm, uh, I, I'm hoping that other people kind of get past that point. It's time for strategy and execution um, building on top of the theory that we all know and, and, and are, you know, and know well enough to at least put it into action. And so I think that there needs to be a few people uh, that, that need to just kind of create businesses that pay the, the, the business pays out in cryptocurrency. And then it doesn't matter, like the employees, they don't have to have any kind of dog in the fight. They don't have to be ideological or anything. They just have to be paid in something that can work for them, that they can then turn around and spend at other merchants and things. Um, but they don't necessarily need to, you know, fight the fight about like, uh, you know, we're going to change the system. They're just going to get paid and, and they're going to buy their groceries with it. You know, that's. Yeah, I like the the message of implementation and you know, taking action to what we want to see in the marketplace. And we've definitely had a lot of that happen here uh, in New Hampshire. The Fed's kind of put a dampener on mm. things in the last few years by using SWAT teams to raid some of the key activists up here. And I suspect that has uh, put a bit of a... Uh, a pallor of fear over the entire crypto scene. Plus, you got the SEC bringing lawsuit after lawsuit against good people like the folks over at Library, for instance, which they're still embattled in that particular uh, situation. They're going after Ripple. They're going after uh, Coinbase. They're going after, you know, you, you fill in the blank. There's been so many of these suits. So yeah. they're definitely trying to intimidate people. And do you feel like this has had an effect on, you know, local businesses' willingness to even consider uh, not just accepting cryptocurrency like Dash, but also certainly paying people uh, in Dash? Has that put a, you know, fear into people? Uh, well, honestly, I don't think anybody's even close to that point yet. We're still at the we're still at the the phase of building infrastructure to 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 make this possible, if and when the the masses do come around to the idea. So I'm not I'm not um, out there on the streets trying to get merchants to adopt at this point. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get um, businesses to use cryptocurrency. I think we still need a lot of infrastructure changes. And that's um, to bring it back to Dash a little bit. Uh, by the way, I'm not a Dash maxi. Um, it's just that it's the only project that I, I really see as, as having potential and, and targeting this. Um, most projects have just kind of given up on even trying to be money. Um, you know, there are probably 80 out of the 100 uh, in the top 100 that are not even trying to be money. It's, right. That's not cryptocurrency projects. They're crypto assets, they're meme coins, they're stable coins. They're just, uh, they're not trying to be money. They're just trying to be something else. I'm a proof of work maximalist person. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think proof Ooh. of stake is nonsense that only serves to centralize what was supposed to be a decentralized technology. Well, Dash is but a bit I respect of, people who disagree with my opinions. As so. I understand it, Dash is a bit of both. Uh, there's uh, mining, so proof of work in Dash, but the masternodes have to stake a uh, thousand Dash and in order to using Dash Direct. You can use Dash to buy stake. Mm. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, no, yes. I, I, it's really the the idea of uh, having more means you get more is really the problem. Where like uh, through with Dash, you have to actually mine in order to get more Dash. Whereas with something like Ethereum, if you just stake more Ethereum, then you get more Ethereum, mm -hmm. and uh, that that just centralizes control of the chain. So. Yes, I'd, I'd like to say something about that, Please. actually, because um, I, I am not a big fan of proof of work, but it's because of reasons. Um, so you mentioned you like proof of work because it provides decentralization mm -hmm. and probably also um, a, fair, a, a fairer coin distribution where the rich aren't just getting richer by sitting on their bags. Right. And I, I fully agree with that, um, that actual goal 
I would say that proof of work is, a, is one potential means to that goal. But um, I have come to a point where I think that a, a better strategy is actually what I call proof of value. And so proof of work, um, if you kind of dig into it and, and you don't even have to dig very far to find out that proof of work is very similar to the labor theory of value. <laughs> um, I put a bunch of work into this thing, therefore I should get some money. Um, I think most people realize that that's not a healthy form of uh, a value creation. Well, the yeah. the difference being that uh, labor for, uh, labor theory of value doesn't include other people valuing what labor you did. Whereas uh, with proof of work, I I think we can all agree that we uh, we value the security of the chain. Mm-hmm. For listeners so, that, that aren't familiar, proof of work is uh, sort of the traditional means of uh, backing a cryptocurrency, in this case with what are called mining operations, mining computers, that uh, put a lot of time and energy into solving mathematical problems to secure the chain, to uh, add blocks to the chain, which, of course, the blocks have the data of the transactions that happen within a certain time frame. Uh, Proof of work is sort of the classic way of going about this, but there have been these other alternatives uh, and competitors that have arisen and so I just wanted to make sure we were clear on what we we're yeah. talking about. So, so that's actually a good springboard to the, to what I was calling proof of value. So as you know, in Dash, uh, I'll, I'll uh, keep it simple by saying that our block reward is, is split three ways. Um, it used to be that 45% would go to miners, 45% that would go to masternode owners, or in other words, stakers, um, and then 10% or up to 10% would go to a general treasury. And that's actually kind of what I consider the proof of value part of it. The ten, that small 10%, um, that, is on, that dash is only created if the stakeholders, the people that are holding the coins, feel that this giving, creating this new dash will actually provide value to the coin and hopefully bring the value of the coin up. Um, now my, probably the most, the, the, one of the more controversial, um, opinions that I have is that we should maximize that, uh, proof of value section. And granted I'm biased in saying that because I benefit from that personally. Um, but it's more like the other way around. I'm, I'm targeting that. I switched my day job from a mechanic, being a mechanical engineer to uh, getting into this cryptocurrency thing as my full-time job because I think that is the strategy that, that will actually gain adoption for this whole industry. Everybody should be working, uh, or at least not should, not should be, but, but if you can, you should work uh, in this industry if you want to uh, push it forward. So um, that's how economies work. People, people, people work for a living, and the thing that they earn – is the thing that's going to become the economy. With Monero, I know that uh, what they do to to maintain scarcity in the coin is that they have only so much in a given amount of time that is allowed to be minted, and that they've made that way, way less than the average amount of uh, gold that gets mined in a year. So is that what you were thinking if, uh, well, if hold this on. does get changed? As I understood the Monero model is they have a certain amount that comes out and that stays static. It doesn't go right. down it's, over time, but because it's compared to the full amount of Monero, the percentage gets slowly smaller and smaller. So even though it's, well, I don't know what it is, X Monero mm-hmm. comes out of every block right. uh, as the mining reward, but because it's just adding to the total, it becomes a smaller smaller percentage. Is that right. kind of what you were thinking this of? Is, yes, exactly. Uh, Monero, in my opinion, is taking a better approach than, than Bitcoin mm-hmm. and Dash in this, in this regard. Uh, because they are, it's called a tail emission, where mm-hmm. the emission doesn't level off to a certain uh, magic holy number that may not be violated. Um, instead, the magic number is the amount of, like you were saying, the amount of um, tokens that are issued over time. Let's say for just for argument's sake, it's 10 Monero for every block. I have no idea if that's yeah, even yeah. in the right realm. But if you, 10, if you, if you mint the first 10, uh, in a block. And then the second 10, the second 10 that you minted is 
uh, 100% inflation. And then the third 10 is something s- smaller than that. And then by the time you're at 100, you're, it, when you issue 10 more, that's only 10%. And then when you're at 1,000, that's only 1%. And then when you're at 10,000, that's only 0.1%. So that, that, like you were saying, that percentage goes down over time, even though you're minting a fixed amount hmm. of the coin over time for eternity. Um, and and that's that is in my opinion a better approach because that that provides security uh, to the whoever's um, validating that. And in, in the case of Monero, it's mining. Well, uh, and, so and, and I, I wanted to ask. To um, so I know that uh, Dash once upon a time had a, a privacy feature, and I was curious if uh, if you had any uh, any intent to uh, add that back in because uh, I know that uh, you it's know, still Monero there. is. Uh, it is it's still there. It's it's a, it's, it's a coin join. It's the most rudimentary, the original mm-hmm. form of uh, mixing. So this is like pre-Monero level kind of privacy yes. stuff. Yeah. So that's that's funny that man, oh man, a lot of damage was done in the days. Uh, I'm not going to pin it to any one person because there were a lot of people that were involved with this. But but yes, there was a time when Dash was stepping back from its privacy roots and mm-hmm. saying, oh, we don't have private send anymore. Um, we, we just, we can do coin mixing just like, just like, uh, anybody can do on Bitcoin. We mm-hmm. have no special features, but in fact, we do have a special feature because our coin mixer was built into the protocol and into the main wallet implementation mm. and, uh, enabled by masternodes. So it was different. It is different. It actually never was removed. It was just, we stepped back from we, meaning some, uh, people at, at dash core group, um, wanted to distance ourselves from the privacy branding so that we could maintain listings on centralized exchanges. Now, I thought this was always a dumb idea. Yeah, it was a big mistake. Um, it was a big mistake. Like I said, we never changed anything. The The, the actual uh, fu- feature of mixing has always been there and has always functioned, but we just stopped branding it private send and we started calling it coin join, which, mm. you know, you can debate the terms, which term is better than the other, but like yourself, a lot of people got confused and, and thought, oh, we're, we're removing the privacy features of Dash. That mm-hmm. never happened. So we're going to go to the phones here and talk to Shortwave Surfer. He's on our SIP line at sip.freetalklive.com. Go ahead, Shortwave Surfer. So a couple of things. You guys brought up the conversation of Monero versus Dash and the inflation versus deflation curve. And you guys were mentioning the fact that, like, as, as the issuance occurs, it is slightly inflationary, but then as coins are lost through uh, accidents and private key loss and things like that, you get kind of a balance out where there's an equilibrium set where, yes, you're getting more coins being issued, but you're also losing coins at the same time. Mm-hmm. My, my questions for you, uh, I think it's Ryan, mm-hmm. are with the Dash DAO, um, are you concerned at all about regulators? Because I know that uh, regulators don't seem to like very much people and and organizations that have like these uh, these mining these fees that go to an organization that can be centrally controlled like by some group of people. They don't seem to like that, and they seem to go after that really really hard. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. I would say they're they're more concerned about. Um, organizations that can be decentral, <laughs> decentrally controlled, they obviously they're uh, what they have to say is that, you know, that we're looking out for, we're regulators and we're trying to help um, keep people safe from whatever scams. That's the line. They're honestly more concerned about people being able to live lives independently from them. Um, and which is exactly kind of what what Dash offers, at least to a small amount of people like myself that have successful proposals and are essentially working for the cryptocurrency. Um, are we concerned about regulators? Of course, um, it's always a concern when people threaten your life, uh, as I'm sure many here in this this call can attest to. But um you know, it's, it's, it's like a balance that you have to you have to strike with with anything. There obviously is good and evil in the world, and I consider these regulators mostly to be uh, just evil, bad people Absolutely. that are trying to ruin lives. 
Well, and I mean, the shot has already come across the bow. We reported a few weeks ago when I believe it was in, God, I don't even remember which case it was, Bittrex. I think it was uh, the SEC versus oh, yeah. Bittrex where they specifically singled out Dash. There were a few other cryptos they mentioned, but mm-hmm. I didn't recognize them. Uh, but I definitely saw Dash in there, and they claim that Dash is a so-called security, which just seems absolutely ridiculous to me. Uh, it's not a case against Dash. They haven't sued you know, any Dash-related people or Dash's organizations or anything like that. They just made the allegation in this other case against this one cryptocurrency exchange. They claim that Dash is a quote-unquote security. So there's definitely yeah. a shot across the bow. Whether that, is going, whether that portends whether they're going to actually try to target Dash in some way, shape, or form is, uh, is another question. But, I mean, the reality is even if they did do that, uh, the fact is Dash is decentralized, even though there are, uh, you know, there's what, like 4,000-something masternodes out there. They're not all based in the United States. It takes quite a bit. I mean, in the original days, it would have been cheap to get a masternode at 1,000 Dash, but now it's a little pricey. Um, so, I mean, to, to get into that particular uh, aspect of sort of controlling Dash, you, you have to be pretty serious about it. I don't think the SEC is going to just start buying up masternodes to uh, to outvote the uh, the existing structure. So, I mean, even if they do come at Dash, what's the worst that uh, that you think might happen? Well, uh, I think that you know they, they want it to be classified as a security so that they can make it miserable for people to use it in a daily uh, setting like it was intended to do it's obviously not a security but they want it to be a security so that basically people can't use it and you know it, it all kind of depends on how dystopian our alternatives are like the more dystopian the u.s dollar system becomes the more people are going to look for alternatives mm-hmm. regulations be damned um but that said you know i everybody does want it not to be regulated. They're going to do what they're going to do, but I'm not going to live my life um, thinking, you know, am I violating some obscure clause in, you know, some regulatory uh, law book? I'm just not going to live my life that way. And I I don't think a lot of other people are going to either. Let's get into the banks as a question here, because I know that was something you would uh, wanted to talk about, and that is to say uh, the idea of phasing out, I think was the terminology that the Dash Incubator account used, the legacy banks. I mean, one of the original visions for Bitcoin as a currency was that we'd be able to undermine the, the banks. We don't need them anymore. We can you know, walk away from it. We were talking earlier about creating an infrastructure so businesses can accept cryptocurrencies, so people can get paid in cryptocurrency and sort of close that loop so people don't always have to be checking in and out by using the on and off ramps into and out of uh, fiat currency. We know the banks are in trouble financially because of the the whole fiat system with the interest rate hikes after the zero interest rates for a very, very long time. And we've seen, uh, what, three banks, I think, crumble in just the last couple of months or two or three months. Another one's doing the teeter-totter. We're hoping, at least. Um, So, I mean, where do you want to go with this? I know you wanted to comment on it, so I'll just give you you the open uh, question. Yeah, I don't don't actually specifically have any um, agenda with with the banks necessarily. I know that we tweeted that out. It was specifically Amanda that that runs our um, Dash Incubator account. She kind of phrased it that way, but um, I'm more just looking for better solutions. I'm, I'm not really out to to demolish the banks. I just want to build something uh, better in their stead so that we don't need to use them. And I think that's, you know, self-custody solutions. But I will say that, you know, uh, along the political spectrum, you have a lot of people who hate corporations and they're typically called the left uh, and they think corporations are evil. And then you have people on the right, and this is a grand oversimplification, obviously. And then the people on the right, they hate the government and they want the government out of anything. But the the reality of the of the situation is that we are ruled in this in this country and pretty much every country by an unholy alliance of both corporations and governments. And the the nexus of that unholy alliance is central banking. 
Um, Mm -hmm. That is the marriage between government and corporations because corporations these days, they are not much more than an extension uh, and extension offices of the government. Why? Because that's where they get their funding. They get their funding from like corporations mostly get their funding, not from consumers, but from bankers. They get loans at very cheap interest rates and uh, are able to sustain their operations and grow their operations until you get to megacorps like Google and Microsoft that are owning the world and that are governments unto themselves. But they're really just subsidiary gov- uh, subsidiaries to our United States governments through the central banking system and the commercial banking system. That whole thing has to end. And the only way to end that is to come up with a better alternative uh, banking system and economic system. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with Dash, um, not just with Dash, but with any cryptocurrency that, that wants to wants to uh, tackle this. We need a system that does something very similar to what our traditional economy does. And our traditional economy, uh, how it works is the government gets money, uh, or, the 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 commercial banking system gets money from the central banks then they're able to make loans to corporations and then those corporations grow uh to be very very big and um they don't really need customers at that point and so they just they hire people to basically spy on america uh and that's kind of what we have with the technocracy um aspect that what what we, what we have with these huge corporations and why does it, why does it work? Well, because you can just employ a bunch of people uh, from this money that's printed out of thin air. Um, But the problem is that it's bad people that are doing this. And so the counter, the counter, the counter to this and like the optimistic side of it is that we can do the same thing uh, just being controlled by the good people. Hey, Daily Digest listeners, this is Riley Blake. I enjoy Free Talk Live, and I know you do too, but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy, so I produce the Daily Digest. I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin... Visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. Let's say Elon Musk uh, tweets at us and says, hey, just discovered this Dash project. Uh, like, I would like to integrate this into all of Twitter's platforms. Um, and we'll do tipping in, in Dash and we'll, we'll pay our content creators in Dash and all this stuff, right? How much money do you think that would cost just to do? Any? How much money do you think that would cost um, either uh, Elon's team or anybody to, to execute that? Million dollars, two million dollars. You mean I like programming know. the changes and rolling just them all out? The that changes. Kind of It'd be a um, huge at, investment. Like accounting changes, all that kind of stuff. Seems pretty simple programming to me, but well. Okay, they, they've got a big operation. Probably cost more than $100,000. Can you go with me on that? Okay, for sure. Okay. Um, Going to cost a lot of money just to just to implement that. Um, and let's say he doesn't want to do it, but he wants Dash to fund it. He, wa- he wants to put in a proposal and say, hey, I want to do this. Um, can, you fund, can you fund Twitter to do it? Because, you know, Twitter's on uh, life support right now, and we're trying to make it, trying to find ways to make it profitable. So, can Dash help us fund this? And we have to say, uh, actually, we can't because we have this weird limit. Um, and even though we know that if we actually, if that actually happened, um, Dash's price might uh, might double. But we can't do, we can't give you um, five hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars worth of Dash for you to do this. Um, sorry. So that's the problem with the, with the limit right now in, in our super block. Right now, I think um, the limit is something like 4,000 Dash per mm-hmm. month, 4,500. 4, 
So Sounds 4,500 right. times $45, $200,000 a month. So we could, you know, if it cost him a million dollars, yeah, maybe we could have a, put in a, uh, a four month proposal, but then that squeezes every other proposal out. And so you have this problem. So maybe you need to make it a 12 month proposal. Maybe then he's walking away from the table. Um, whereas, you know, if we could just create that, whatever, 100 uh, or $1 million, let's just say, is what he's asking for and divide that by $45 per dash. He's asking for 22,000 dash. Okay. Would creating that 22,000 dash, um, would that would that increase the price of dash or would that decrease the price? And then to getting to your question, is that 22,000 dash, is that going to current masternode owners? No, it's going to Elon Musk and his team of programmers, all of which are new users. And um, so that's actually increasing the distribution of Dash. So it's actually making the coin distribution more fair. Um, it's not going to the masternode owners. It's going to these proposal owners that are asking for the money. So that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but mm-hmm. nope. that's kind of the spirit of, of what I'm proposing here is. Like I, I get how that would uh, how that would increase the desire for it, how that would uh, advance it, how that would uh, be good for the world. I get how that would do a lot of things. What I don't get is okay. Let me let me give you a, a hypothetical here. Uh, let's say I'm one of the very early dash miners, and I manage to get not like a majority or anything, but like a larger amount than anyone happens to have, and I put it all in my in my master node, right? So now I'm getting more every time it gets minted because of my masternode. And okay, well, I'm just going to turn that around and stake some more of that in some more masternode. So how do uh, can you see how that would accumulate a greater and greater amount to me as compared to anyone else? You being an early, early miner and... Uh- and, and having right, a it's, it's, it's sort of a whoever's ahead in the game just gets further and further ahead in the game. Yes, that, that's what happens in a, in a pure proof of stake system. But that's not what I'm that's not what we either have nor what I'm suggesting. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's a miscommunication. Well, I mean, th- th- this seems to, to do sort of a, a half and half between uh, proof of stake and and uh, proof of work. Yeah, it, it's 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 half and half. Like proof of stake, it's it's part proof of work. So part of the newly issued currency is going to miners. Part of it's going to masternodes, which you know that's your to your point. You know, when a masternode gets payments for the for the coins that he has in his savings and and backing masternodes, he is able to eventually um, get more of the coin supply and maybe even spin up even more masternodes. Right, and so right. that is part of the that's the problem that you're describing. Yes. I'm describing the solution, (laughs) whether you know it or not. There are three main features, I would say, actually probably four uh, main features of what masternodes do. First is, the first and foremost is private send. So that's that was the feature that allows uh, CoinJoin to be on the protocol and not have to have a custodial mixing service uh, if you want privacy. So that's that's the first thing that masternodes do. The second thing is they have, they, they offer instant send transactions, which means if I send a transaction to you, you that transaction is confirmed within one or two seconds. You can then respend that and send that to, to somebody else one to two seconds and so forth and so forth. Um, and so basically, it's, it's like instant settlement. Hmm. Now, that's one level of security for transactions. Then there's blocks and blocks are, blocks are groups of transactions. Blocks are confirmed with traditional proof of work mining in in um, in Dash, and those blocks uh, in in normal systems, like let's take Bitcoin Cash for example, a Bitcoin Cash block is not to be considered secure. One even one block, let alone one a one to two second transaction propagated through the network. Even if you have um, a one confirmation, that's not necessarily secure. Um, because chain reorganizations can happen and then that double spends can happen with through a 51% attack. We don't need to get into all the details there, but those blocks are only probabilistically going to be confirmed. In Dash, it's different. When a block is propagated uh, through the network, the masternodes look at that block and they say, I've seen that block 
And I've also seen that it's valid, that the transactions within that block are valid. I'm going to put my stamp of approval on that. And then that, um, that same thing is happening with the other 4,000 masternodes. And when a certain percentage of those masternodes say, hey, we've all seen this same block, we're just going to stamp that and say, this is the canonical next block. And anything that tries to come along and say, and afterwards and say, hey, I have a new block and it has other transactions in it that are spending coins from that previous block, the masternodes are going to say, nope, uh, that uh, that block is not valid because we've already put our chain of uh, our stamp of approval on this other block. That's called chain locks, and it's what it, what's it's what prevents fifty one percent attacks. Um, now you might be asking yourself, huh, why can't we do that in Bitcoin or you know some of these other systems? And the answer is, um, you can't because you don't have masternodes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because masternodes provide the Sybil proof protection uh, of saying um, it's not going to be, it's not viable for any attacker to come along and say, I'm going to spin up um, 2000 nodes and trick the system into thinking that even though there was, um, now let's, just, let me back up. If you wanted to do something like that on, on Bitcoin cash, an attacker could basically spin up a bunch of nodes and say, hey, I'm just as valid as the next node um, because a node's a node and it's free and you don't have to prove any collateral mm. behind the node. And so you have... And, civil- and just to, to let uh, listeners know, a node is a record of the previous transactions that have happened on a given blockchain. Uh, yeah, well, when I say node, I mean I mean a computer that's running the Dash uh, software or the Bitcoin Cash uh, software that's validating uh, transactions. It's okay. it's that's what I'm saying is a, is a node. All right. um, it has to have a full copy of the blockchain, so mm-hmm. it does. It does have right, the copy right. of the blockchain, yeah. so it, it, we're saying the same thing. But um, but yeah, like in Bitcoin Cash, anybody can just spin up a a full node, and it's just as valid as any other node on the network. And if you are a government uh, that wants to take down the network or just kind of mess with it. Um, or even if you're Bitcoin, BTC Bitcoin, and you're just sick and tired of Bitcoin Cash uh, stealing your branding and you just kind of decide, hey, let's let's mess with this coin because we we both use the same uh, SHA-256 hashing algorithm. Um, we're just going to send 10% of our mining hash power uh, and put that on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain and reverse some transactions. That could be easily done. The fact that it hasn't been done doesn't mean that it couldn't be done. It mm-hmm. could be done very easily. It's just that, that, that you're talking checking. about the 51 percent attack in that case. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And this is and the so, big fear and, and, that and, and, uh, people have. Uh, that anybody that's done some basic research into cryptocurrency has probably learned of 51 percent attack, whether they understand exactly how it works or not. But basically, you get 51 percent of the mining hash power on a particular network. And there's a website that'll show you what it costs if you were to just rent the hash power to take over essentially one of these smaller chains. The uh, the big claim that Bitcoin for a has is of time. what's that? Take take over the chain for a certain amount of time. Right, right. And as long as you have that fifty one percent, you can send uh, transactions to different places and and things like that, and cause a lot even, of trouble. Even transactions that have already been confirmed in other blocks. It's uh, what I call immemorial weekend. Oh, because yeah. like everybody just no thinks one has it's, ever remembered it. Yeah, everybody thinks it's get drunk and barbecue weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had this crazy idea because of my anti-statist views that on you know Memorial Day or Labor Day or Veterans Day, uh, I've seen a lot of I want to say entitled veterans, right? Who like mm-hmm. like let me see your veterans menu, right? You know, mm-hmm. kind of a thing where mm-hmm. like they they I want my discount. They're they're bitchy about it, really mm-hmm. is what I'm saying, right? They they you know, and so I thought of this great sort of reverse idea where if you're an establishment, uh, you just go ahead and make up a veterans menu, but the prices are like double. <laughs> <laughs> There that, have is, been some, that is the libertarian way to do it, right? There, there have been some places uh, that have refused to serve police yeah. uh, in other towns or like, whatever. Oh, you served the bankers and the warlords in government? Oh, twice the price for you. Mm. You yeah. get all of your money stolen from other people? Hmm. Twice the price. Now, of course, not everybody who's a veteran is, you know, 
toting the flag or whatever. I, there's, there's a lot of Agreed. them that have realized, as uh, I think it was General Smedley Butler yes. back in the day who wrote the book War is a Racket, yep. mm-hmm. uh, where he revealed that he knew that he was being used as a corporate hitman, basically. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of guys that get in and they, they and, kind of uh, see the truth. Hats off to Smedley Butler for at least not making us an officially fascist nation. Do you know about that? Uh, it's uh, alternately called the business plot or the Wall Street coup. I don't know. Or uh, sorry, the Wall Street putsch. Uh, yeah. So a bunch of uh, a bunch of very powerful businessmen in America, and you can Wikipedia this. It's it's an official part of history that just doesn't get talked about. But yeah, a whole bunch of uh, very very powerful people, I believe, including Prescott Bush, uh, the uh, grandfather of W. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, very powerful American uh, business people got together and said, you know we really just need to overthrow this government and replace it with a fascist government. Now, this was before America had defined itself as not fascist by winning against the Germans in World War II. So uh, 1933 is when this happened. And they're like, yeah, let's just overthrow this. We'll replace it with a fascist government so that things work properly. And the plan was to make Smedley Butler the new Fuhrer of America, basically. And he turned them in. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, they came to whistleblower. Yeah, yeah, they came to him and they're like, "Yeah, we want to make you the uh, the uh, top dog of this new uh, of this new government." Yeah, yeah, he turned them all in. Uh, Wouldn't you know it? They never saw court. I bet. Yeah, I put uh, Smedley Butler and John Taylor Gatto sort of you know on my Mount Rushmore wall of uh, you know revelation, if you Mm -hmm. will. Uh, Those folks who were inside the system and realized what it was and what they were doing, and then went ahead and let everybody know david's on the line in san francisco david you're on free talk live go ahead yeah all right yeah it's uh funny you're talking to smedley butler if i remember right that uh what was it 1932 putsch or 33 or whatever it was. yeah 33 uh yeah that uh those documents uh from the senator still considered top secret they uh have never released the uh, uh the hearings the uh and it's it's funny. Uh, similarly, in the JFK assassination, you know, they still haven't released all of the documents. And one of the main uh, culprits, uh, if you're into the JFK hearings, uh, was the Pepsi Cola bottling company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a mysterious meeting the night before uh, uh, Kennedy was killed, and uh, it was at the JFK bottlers convention. Uh, after party at uh, Clint Murchison's house. And uh, so I expect that the remaining top secret documents of the JFK assassination are tied to the Pepsi bottlers. Hmm. But um, Well, let's point out, I mean, they got their fascist government. It just took them a little longer. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. they got the fascist government. Yeah. They just didn't get the official fascist government. They didn't get, a coup, they didn't get to coup it into yeah. place. Yeah. They, uh, and, yeah. and that's exactly what, uh, uh, time. what Ryan was talking about, where, like, there is no distinguishable difference and separation between corporations and government, because the corporations do the will of the government. They sure do. And the government does the will of the corporation. So uh, that is exactly what Benito Mussolini said fascism was, was Mm -hmm. the uh, combination of state power and corporations. Agreed. Right. Yeah. And uh, and it was an imitation of something that was emerging between the the, uh, just before Mussolini was the uh, King Leopold. And King Leopold uh, pretended that he was uh, that what he held in. Uh, Africa, it was called the Belgian Congo, was his private estate, and that there were 15 million people living on there, but that no laws of Belgium applied to his private estate. Hmm. And he started hacking off hands, you know, if they didn't produce gold, if they didn't produce uh, wealth for him every day, uh, he would kill them. And uh, he apparently killed about half the people. Uh, they went from 15 million wow. down to uh, 7 million people in the couple of decades that uh, King Leopold had it. That old movie, uh, 
uh, Apocalypse Now is based on uh, a, a book about it called uh, uh, Joseph Conrad's uh, Heart of Darkness. Mm. And uh, so it's this idea that not just a, a, a vast land like the Belgian Congo can be owned by a private individual, but that no laws applied to them, that he was their owner. And uh, and so the Mussolini and Rocco were jealous of that, and they tried to create a government based upon that fallacy, that uh, madness. And uh, so it's uh, when you start looking at the the current crop of people, like uh, the way we got rid of kings back in seventeen, well before seventeen seventy six, it was called the social contract where that we, the people, uh, decide on certain things. In, in modern world, we decide to drive on the right hand. We decide to have red, green, and yellow uh, traffic lights. We decide to read right to left with, uh, uh, or excuse me, left to right. Well, hold on, hold on. You're, you're conflating custom and social contract. Uh, so well, and, and industry standard. No, well, they are absolutely the different. So, uh, so social contract theory is a uh, it's a con, and what it states is that uh, you agree, whether you agree or not, to this contract by being a part of society. Now, that's that's, uh, and because you are part of this contract, it has the authority to do all of these terrible things to you. Now. A, custom, a contract, by the, the way, that hand. has never been written down in any meaningful right. sense I've right. never and copy. essentially means that the details of the contract are they tell you what to do and you do it. Right. That's whereas, it no. whereas a custom, on the other hand, is something that I can voluntarily choose to stop doing. Are you part of society? I am part of a society, not what you would consider society, I think. Society well, is a voluntary association of individuals who've come together for a common purpose. And what you're describing, because I know, you know, you've called the show before, David, and uh, you, what you're describing when you say society is you mean the government, the people no. that... No? I'm, you remember, I'm not a Democrat. I'm a Green Party member. I don't I care what you are. With I've probably dealt irrelevant. with more opposition. I've probably been arrested far more times than you have uh, for protesting the government. And, uh, and How many times I have still, you been arrested, David? Well, I'd say in and about 50 times. Oh, that's pretty impressive. Well, you've got, you must have a much more important opinion. Well, I have the opinion that this government is supposed to belong to you and me, and that if there are and I uh, and that's fakers, impossible. There's no that evidence is for that. Fundamentally impossible. That is part of the con. I just want to for our listeners pure fantasy for our listeners. A contract is an agreement between two parties, which is signed off on by those two parties yes you have to have an offer you have to have consideration you have to have acceptance a meeting of the minds i believe and none of which are present with the social contract right right, exactly and so it doesn't even meet the definition of contract but yet it uses the word right it's not a social contract it's a lie yeah and a a custom on the other hand so if i decided that i wanted to write from right to left well, let's find out how many people I can get to agree with me. Right. Yes, henceforth, we will read and write from right to left. We can just do that. In Asia, you get a lot of people yeah. agreeing with yeah. you because um, they do that there. And, and there's another thing called industry standard, right, that really requires no government involvement whatsoever. Uh, and in fact, industries have done this uh, time and time and again as industries grow up. Uh, take toilets, for example. Do you think it's, uh, it's an act of government that when you need to buy a new toilet seat, that the bolt holes just line up? Right. No. The industry, industry got together and said, hey, guys, just for the ease of everybody, let's make the bolt holes, you know, whatever the distance mm-hmm. is, and this big around, and that kind of thing. That's an industry standard. It happens mm-hmm. all the time. Regarding traffic, his example about the lights and stuff, like, come on, the internet exists. It directs far more traffic mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. any road has ever done. Mm-hmm. And yes, humans do glide upon the information superhighway. So it is doing way more than roads could ever do without any government uh, oversight and regulation into how it directs traffic. So 
Yeah. Uh, what happens a lot of the time is that the government jumps out in front of the of the parade. Right. So human beings are naturally regulating their behavior because that's what human beings do. Yep. They do so according to the standards of their, their culture, their society. And then government says, I did that. And says, if you stop doing this, I will put you in jail. Right. So then if you actually need to change that, say you discover that this little plant is not actually a terribly harmful substance, but actually quite useful and healthful, then you can't change that because government has already said, no, we locked that cultural norm into place. Let's go to Ricky. He's in Pennsylvania. You're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Ricky. Thank you there, brother Ian, brother Captain Peagless Mountaineer. Good evening. What's on your mind? Well, you know, I was going to talk to Ryan, but, you know, I got something interesting to talk about. You know, I said it six years ago, and I'll say it again. I don't like status or status sympathizers. And I heard this guy since I've come back, David from San Francisco. Aren't you a status? Yeah, I don't care. I don't care if he says he's a Green Party member. I'm confused about that, too. The man's a status. He's a status beyond belief. And I think what is a status? A status? Yeah. Yeah. You you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. What's that, Ricky? What does it mean? A status is somebody that believes in the state. I think it's beyond that. They put their heart and soul and everything into it. You know, that's their way of life. Their status. What's the difference between a status and a federalist? You mean a, a federalist? Well, well, they're close. They're close to it's kind of like an older brother and like a little bit of a younger brother. Aren't you but a, a federalist, federalist, Ricky? Huh? Aren't you a federalist? Absolutely not. Oh, I thought you self-described. Oh, he calls himself a conservative Democrat. Democrat. I wear the Southern Cross. Are you uh, kidding me there? Yeah, I thought you were a confederate. Oh, confederate. Oh, Thank confederate. you. Confederate. Confederate. Yeah, not a conservative. That's, that's not a confederate. Yeah, no, confederacy a is a form of state, Ricky. Yes, but, but before we go into that, that makes you a statist. <laughs> I'm going to correct you with that. I believe in secession. I believe in blowing away the federal government. That's number one. And as far as that, I don't want anybody joining PA. No, we want to leave this alone, you know? But that's, you're fine with the state of... Pennsylvania, or the Commonwealth of yes. Pennsylvania, which is basically a state, right? Well, not quite. We talked about this with Jay. It's called an association. That's mm-hmm. what's up now. Will they do violence away. against you if you don't pay their association dues? Oh, the feds? No, oh, the yeah. Pennsylvania people. No, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania that you are imagining. Excuse me? Will? The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, as you are imagining it. Would Will? they or would they not uh, imp- do violence? Yeah, do violence. Well, if here's you... the point. I'm talking about not now, but post-secession. When it's post-secession, okay, we can change great. everything. Post-secession. Okay, yes or no, Ricky? Story. Yes or no? Huh? Yes or no? Post-secession. No, no, no. I'm not talking now. I'm talking the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania post-secession as you imagine it. Would they or would they not? do violence against me if I decided to live there and not pay them for that association. There would be no association because there'd be no more federal government. We're not talking about the federal government. See, that's what I was saying, association. Puerto Rico, right now, there's a bill that went through the House, I found out. Once again, the Is there going to be, hold on, is there going to be in your future seceded Pennsylvania... Presumably still a commonwealth, quote-unquote. Is there so. still going to be buildings run by the commonwealth and people paid by the commonwealth to do various different tasks? See, the way I envision it, I would see the elimination of all taxes except for, I would hate to say it, you would have to have a little something, maybe 2%, 4%, and maybe a sales tax, just to pay well, for something. To some quote the great thing. Ron Paul... One percent tax is one hundred percent of the principal. Now yeah. you already you disqualified yourself sequence. as somebody who is against statism if you are uh, advocating for taxes. Yes, but here's the question. Now, I I don't think anarchy is a good answer because people could not most people could not handle anarchy. Pure anarchy. Most people handle pure anarchy in the vast majority of the decisions that they make and the vast basis. majority of how they live their lives every single day. This is the statement made by a statist, by the way, Ricky, to say that 
Ricky knows that people can't handle this freedom stuff. We've well, got to have control. we got to have taxes. You can't trust people, so let's get a little group of people together and <laughs> give them all of our that's trust. That's not the idea. That's not the idea. Okay, but that's what you were just talking about. That's what taxes are, dude. But i got a question for Peakless. Okay, so say we get that 60%. We see secede tomorrow. We create the new government, okay, here in Pennsylvania. No government at all. Uh, no government. Oh, you're talking about no Pennsylvania. Way, you mean Nothing. you and the other Pennsylvanians. Okay. That would be the idea. So we say no government at all. We secede tomorrow and no government whatsoever. So we're going to do – how are we going to do – I'm going to move real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh? I'm going to move real quick. You just heard highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. You can download full episodes, subscribe to our podcast, listen live, and more, all for free at freetalklive.com.